Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. All right, I know you want to get to the podcast, so I'm going to keep this short. Opera Box Score needs your donation to retain its title as America's talk radio show about opera. You can give on our website, operaboxscore.com slash donate. When you throw even 10 bucks our way, it helps us promote the show to more listeners. Just 20 bucks helps cover our website costs. Chip in 50 bucks and we can pay to wax Tobias's back. But for real, please consider a donation of any amount to help us continue to bring you our hot takes on everything opera-related. Operaboxscore.com slash donate. Enjoy the podcast. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, Let's get ready to rumble! Wherever you are, however you're listening, hey, thanks for joining us for America's talk radio show about opera, period. I'm your host, George Cedarquist, joined this week by Oliver Camacho. We are live right here, right now on WNUR, FM Evanston, Chicago, and that means you can be one of our listeners who gets to have their say live on air. 847-866-WNUR is the number in studio, and we're also streaming live on WNUR.org slash pop-up. Again, call us, 847-866-9687. All right, tonight it's a Chalk Talk doubleheader. Oliver and I discuss a new opera by Scott Joyner and Adam Taylor called Connection Lost, L'Opera di Tinder. Not only is the show about failed relationships created via the Tinder dating app, the piece was made for internet. Hear what Oliver and I think about the potential of this new operatic medium. Then we look at Metropolitan Opera music director and conductor Yannick Nézé-Séguin's recently published thoughts on how he'll program his first season at the Met when he starts in 2020. Check out what Oliver and I think will be successful and what needs some second thought. Plus, what else might happen? Oliver might play Monday evening quarterback. You're definitely going to get the two-minute drill, all the opera headlines from the past week that you need to know. You're going to get our hot takes on them. You're probably going to get some sports, too. There's a lot going on in Sportland right about now. Oliver Camacho, how are you? I'm good. You finally stopped saying weekly show about opera because we broke, we broke the pattern finally. Yeah, that was a weird, <laughs> that was a weird day. Just, I'm going to yeah. leave it at that. That was a very strange day. Well, we've we been the babysitter, right? Uh, it was a babysitter thing. Yeah. Yeah, so, exactly. It was a family emergency babysitter thing. I think thing. people understand family emergencies, you know? I would hope so. Yeah. I would definitely hope so. Um, sports. So Actually, exciting wait. sports. <laughs> I, I, before we get to sports, though, you're very busy right now because as a singer, this is your time to shine, right? Building up to uh, Easter. I wouldn't say shine so much as... Most professional singers who do church jobs are extremely busy this time of year uh, because of if you have a chorus gig, you probably are doing some choral concert. All the choral concerts seem to be right before Holy Week. And then Holy Week itself begins, uh, which means you probably sing a a service on Thursday, a service on Friday, Mm -hmm. a vigil on Saturday, and then two services on Sunday for Easter. So um, it's pretty intense. There's no busier week in the year, right? Even Christmas isn't that busy. Probably. You're right. Yeah, I think Holy Week is taken more seriously by uh, people who program church music than even Christmas. So. Wow. Yeah, so I'm, I'm kind of tired right now, but I'm glad to be back in the studio looking at it's your nice. sweet shaven face. You look so young. and <laughs> I lost the beard. Yeah. Um, 
And uh, yeah, and we're going to talk some sports because right now people are not listening to the show. They're watching some basketballs. It's true. They're watching the balls of basket. It's the uh, NCAA final between the University of North Carolina and Gonzaga. I guess I can give our listeners a little update yeah, what's Gonzaga? right now. What's... Uh, it's 33-30 Zags over the Tar Heels at the end of the first mm. half. Uh, we'll see how that plays out. Also, today is the first day of the Major League Baseball season. There's a handful of teams that started yesterday. Okay, St. Louis Cardinals, we get it. They you beat to, the Cubs, right? They did beat the okay. Cubs. Was Cubs. it was it a like a pummeling or was it? It was close. It was a tie game, I believe, and then oh. there was a botched play by the Cubs, some oh. sort of error that led to their defeat. I, I don't think the Cubs are going to repeat. It is okay. so difficult in any major league to repeat. I don't see the Cubs doing that. Okay. I was as so big a fan as anyone else when the Cubbies won last October. I thought that was phenomenal. I, even I, I just, watched. I, w- I was very excited about that. How much did you watch? I watched, the, I think, the last three games. Okay, so you really got into it. Yeah. Uh, plus, sure. some of those guys are kind of cute. There's that guy. Z- oh, I forgot his name already. Zazzo? Not Zazzo. Riz- he's kind of a chunkier. Uh, he, Carlos he, Rizzo? What? Carlos Rizzo? No, no, he's white. Zobrist. No. Zobrist. No, he's got really great legs. Kind of thicker. How do you know this? They don't even wear shorts, man. You have X-ray <laughs> eyes. I forget his name. God, I'm terrible. But he's he's like really smiley and handsome, and and he's got a Z in his name. Uh, I think there's a Z in his name. Eight four seven eight six six W N U R. Let us know who it is. Let's talk some opera. Wait, we didn't talk about that sound. Chalk talk on Opera Box Score. Okay, we didn't talk about S-Town. Okay, so something that happened that actually relates to us, and in a way relates to our first Chalk Talk segment, Okay, uh, is the dump of the complete season of This American Life slash Serial's new podcast called S-Town. Okay. It came out um, last week, I think on Tuesday or something like that, on the 31st or the 30th. And all it's only seven episodes, and mm-hmm. they released all of them at the same time. So Serial Season 1, Phenomenon, you know, was released bi-weekly or whatever. And everybody loved it, and it became like this cultural thing, you know? It was a huge thing. Yeah. And then Season 2 was like kind of like, eh, it's all right, you know? But this new thing that they've created called S-Town is amazing. And it's so operatic. I've already cast it. Well, I've cast the voice types. So John B. is going to be a countertenor. Uh, uh, Tyson or Tyler is going to be a bear hunk. Uh, the radio producer, um, I think his name is Brian Reed. Uh, we'll cast him as a Britain style tenor or like an evangelist style tenor. And then, uh, Olin is a character we meet in the sixth episode. Uh, I think we should cast as a mezzo on travesty. And it's basically, it's about an Alabama murder. It's, that's, that's, yeah, that's, we shouldn't talk about what it's about because it's, there's too many spoilers and I don't want to ruin okay. for anybody. But okay. it starts out with the same premise as Serial does with there's an unsolved crime and an investigative journalist slash podcaster yeah. <laughs> goes down to investigate. And it really, I mean, there's so many themes in this show, but, but Brokeback Mountain is a theme I probably can tell you. Okay. Um, but also um, just the difference between, you know, the city and the country, you know, and our kind of culture divide that we have right now and how we feel like 
the middle of the country has made this decision about where politics needs to go in America and how we automatically discount those people. And um, well, that's beautifully put. Check it out. That's town. <laughs> it's so good. Well, I I'm already listening to it my second time. I've good. I've already started it again. While it's you're so at it, you might as well check out our podcast as yeah. well. We do a podcast version of this show for wider distribution, and it is available on iTunes. Let's let's stick with the technological theme then, Oliver. Yeah. And so this opera has been written and released recently called Connection Lost, mm -hmm. which is about a man looking for love on the Tinder platform. Yeah. Now, you know more about Tinder than I, I know do. nothing about Tinder. I stopped online dating like seven years ago okay. when I was so miserable at it. Okay. I, I need somebody to help me write my profile because yeah. I think I don't... It's I was all about too, the profile, isn't it? It's Yeah, and about like how you look in your picture and like not making fun of yourself, like but not also being arrogant. Like I don't know how to do it. You know, I, I probably should have let somebody else write my profile for me. But we all have heard of Tinder. We know what it's basically about. It's... You know, for people with short attention spans, you just like go through tons and tons of people, swipe left, swipe, swipe right. Uh, it, you know, it boils people down to, you know, it's so shallow, like to what they look like in a picture yep. and how they describe themselves and however many characters you get or however many like questions you have to answer. And people have to make a judgment about you like that. And that's it's pretty rough. <laughs> and that's the content of this opera. So these two boys have written this opera. It's about 11 minutes long. It was made straight to video, as it were. Let's check out a clip. You're cute. So are you. You like bears. I like zoos. I'm a vet or I will be. If this semester doesn't kill me. Sounds exciting. I like frightening. Final Cornell. Medicine's your major. Drinks. Medicine. Minor. Minor. As in you have one. As in I have one. How pre-med are you? A Go. That's actually one of the best exchanges in this show. So let's let's back it up a little bit. So the composer is also the uh, main character in this show. His name is Scott Joyner. Very cute tenor, uh, working on his doctorate at Manhattan School of Music. And he's lovably goofy looking. And he's I do a, mean that as a compliment. No, he's adorable. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then there is um, Adam Taylor, who's a L.A.-based filmmaker. And they're the ones that sort of began this project. And they call it Rainy Park Opera. And they are creating operas for the internet. And um, just as A Mall in the Night Visitors or Owen Wingrave were created for TV, uh, this is an opera and it's a counterpart, uh, The Bachelor Opera, I think it's called. You know? Right, which I did not watch. I haven't watched it yet either, but was created specifically for the internet. And I wish that we could go back to the archives of Opera Now when... Uh, I came up, I don't it's not my idea per se, but I was talking about how we have to figure out as this generation of, you know, producers and singers and directors, this specific generation that we're in, we need to figure out how to, you know, capitalize on this kind of fractured uh, audience and the 
di different types of media that are available to us that take away from the theater, that take away from long format. We have to figure out how, as smart people who love this thing, how to, you know, get people interested in opera. And I think this is not a bad idea. I mean, I actually did not dislike it. I mean, I could make some complaints, like there's it's a bit of a homogeny of the voice types that are cast in this. And compositionally, it's not that adventurous, you know, it's not not that creative, but it's very listenable and it's cute. And you know, it doesn't wear its 11 minutes, you know, you don't feel tired by the time you get to the, by the time you're done with 11 minutes, you feel like that was the perfect length for that, you know? But that's, that's not very sustainable though, like an 11 minute show, unless you have a bunch of them. And I think that there's there can be maybe web web opera, you know, web like webisode version of opera, like maybe a longer format, like longer storytelling, uh, chunk by chunk. That might be a good way to use the medium, you know. Very possible. The link, by the way, to this show is on our website, operaboxscore.com. That's taken from an NPR article about the show. It's interesting. One of the guys in that NPR article says that when he was showing this video to his friends uh, he said quote when they saw the video was 11 minutes long it was hard to get them to watch it i realized they wanted three minutes of content many of them don't really know what opera is my question is if we're trying to get people involved in opera which is a long for a long form art form mm -hmm. surely we are should not be building up their stamina in units of like three <laughs> or ten minutes do you know what i'm saying like yeah. half an hour like yeah. a half an hour opera. Yeah, I mean, people can sit through, you know, whatever, like these uh, TV shows that, that are, like, streaming on Netflix or whatever. Right. People will binge on sure. TV shows, and they'll people give up binge ten, this ten show. Hour, yeah, right. They do, seriously. <laughs> uh, ten hours of their, of their weekend watching some TV shows. So it's just the content has to be good enough to hold people's attention for that long. Here's another complaint, and I will get to the good stuff in a minute. Here's another thing I don't understand, is that... Opera is storytelling through music. The mm -hmm. music is of utmost importance and quality. So if yeah. you're listening to the music on your device, yeah, maybe was, not with headphones, you I watched on you. your laptop, like, are we compromising what is really essential about this art form when we can't get that quality of, A, live music, and if it's not live, really well-recorded music? I agree with you wholeheartedly, and maybe that's my almost my problem with the Tinder opera in that... I think they were smart and knowing that you need a certain voice type that can communicate text in this, you know, it's going to be compressed down. And if the tone quality is too complicated, if the vowels are too tall, people will tune out because they won't be able to understand it, you know? So you don't necessarily need beautiful voices to pull this thing off. You need voices that kind of have musical theatery, you know, that get text across really well to keep it, uh, you know, to keep the audience really connected and, and not having to think too hard about what is being said. So, um, no, I agree with you. I think that we're losing something. If this, Not that this is going to be, like, super successful and everything is going to go this direction, but we need to figure out a way if we're going to use this medium to make it truer to what the experience is like um, in the theater and what the experience of hearing the human voice is like. I mean, even me, like I, when I listen, to, like, so I don't listen to that much pop music, but when I do, like when I watch like American Idol or whatever, The Voice or something like that, and you hear these people sing acapella in their audition round and you say, wow, that's a great voice. Right. And then you get, you know, 10 weeks later, 12 weeks later, and they're now like in near the finals of the competition and they're like being produced and there's like a band 
and there's like all these whatever production values added on top of their sound, you completely lose. You don't know. And only the great voices can survive. Only the voice can transcend that. Like a voice like Adele or like Aretha Franklin or something like that, you know, where it's like, well, you can still recognize that that's a great voice, even on top of all of that stuff that goes underneath it, you know, to make it sound bigger. It's know? Opera Box Score on WNUR. Here's what I liked about this piece. Mm-hmm. It was technically very smart. Like, it's well filmed. Mm -hmm. It's well lit. It's clearly been produced. There's a whole slew of credits at the end of it. Like, he really got a team, he, they, really got a team together to do this. The singers play themselves. It it seems like they were dubbed over in their singing. Like, that's not being recorded live. No, they recorded recorded the score, and then they filmed, like, lip syncing, I think, to the... Yeah, it's just and like it's a movies. mixed bag of acting as well. Yeah, I some mean, people are like, actors, some people are singers. You know, I'm glad that they they made some attempt at diversity, even though the voices don't sound that diverse. Yeah. there's actually a pretty diverse cast, which I was relieved to see. So, in the article on NPR, one of the writers says that people say to him, "I don't really like opera," and mm-hmm. he responds, "Well, have you ever actually been to one?" And most people really haven't ever been to an opera. And so that was one of the reasons that they they put this together. I I can see the reasoning behind that. What I disagreed with was another quote of his in which he said, if people just want to party and they've had a long day and they just want to relax and not think, and they aren't going to go choose to see a foreign film and they aren't going to go choose an opera over more of a party entertainment. I don't see how all those things can't coexist, though. I mean, on the show last week, we talked about the mashup of classical music and pop music. There are films, there are projections put into opera productions. I don't think of people in these terms. I think that's a lazy way to think about an audience. Yeah. That they don't want to go out and like really experience something. Now, I'm not saying that the operatic art form is necessarily giving that to them. I think that's a way that that form needs to increase. But I don't see how watching a film, an opera film, on your laptop, on your phone, whatever, I don't see how that's... Any more no, I don't, I don't than a real think production. that this is the type of thing that's going to attract people to opera. I just think it's a way of maybe reminding people <laughs> that opera exists, you know? Yeah. And the story was was cute, you know, but there's not like, it's not like you can watch that more than once, you know? That, I was surprised how few hits it had on YouTube. And again, I'm giving two thumbs up to the idea and to the execution. Yeah. I just thought that this would be a huge thing. And that thing. guy had really great, like, body hair. I was like, wow, that's nice, you know? That was not high on my list. <laughs> Although some of those ladies were knockouts, I'll tell you that. That yeah. didn't that didn't help. I mean, didn't hurt. They were fine. Um no, but we have to think just for those of you who are creative people out there and are are, you know, maybe are taking this idea and running with it. What stories do we tell with opera very well? What are the things that opera does better than other mediums? And usually it's going to be a love story, you sure. know. Which is kind of what the Tinder opera is, it's really an anti-love story. Yeah. It's about and, all these tragedies. connections and tragedies. Yeah. 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 Exactly. The ending is bizarre. We shouldn't spoil the ending of it either. Uh, <laughs> no, but I mean, so whatever, 400 years ago or 420 years ago at this point, um, opera was born and the first stories that they told were like these Greek myths, like right. especially the myth of Orfeo and stuff like that. So right. maybe there's something to that. Maybe we need to go back to the original stories and the power of music and to show even in uh, a highly compressed medium that there's music still has a power. And like, as much as I kind of was annoyed about La La Land, I see why people fell in love with that movies because 
there's something about feeling those emotions that you can feel in watching a love story unfold and having a song to go to kind of be encrypted into those feelings. We need to figure out what music does very well and try to encrypt, you know, try to remember that that music has that power and tell stories that um, give you those feelings, you know? You guys figure out what you think of the Tinder opera. Good Again, job. What your name is? Adam Joyner. Good job. The link is on our website, operaboxscore.com. We are going to step aside for one second. When we come back, we talk about the Metropolitan Opera's music director, Yannick Neze Seguin's vision for the company's future programming. Keep it locked on WNUR 89.3 FM and Opera Box Score. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. AIDS has created over 14 million orphans worldwide. That's the equivalent of every child under five in America with no one to watch over them. Won't you please help defeat this tragic global epidemic? At current rates, AIDS is turning another child into an orphan every 14 seconds. That's two more children orphaned in just the time it takes to make this announcement. Please go to apathyislethal.org or call 1-866-AIDS-FUND toll-free now. AIDS is preventable. Apathy is lethal. A public service message brought to you by the United Nations Foundation, the Ad Council, and WNUR. Right now, thousands of at-risk youth around Chicago lack the caring adults they need to help them stay in school and out of trouble. Fortunately, hundreds of youth tutoring and mentoring programs around the city are working to pull these youth off the street and towards college and careers. However, these programs rely on generous supporters like you to volunteer your time and resources to make a difference. Visit www.tutormentorprogramlocator.net to find a program near you today. One out of five Americans takes on the role of caring for a sick or aging family member. If this is you, then you know the feeling of doing all you can and still thinking it's not enough. Chances are there are organizations nearby with just the help you need to help you do your best. Start with Family Caregiving 101. This nonprofit website is a gateway to a whole world of support, service, and advice. That's familycaregiving101.org. A message from the National Family Caregivers Association and National Alliance for Caregiving. Chalk Talk on Opera Box Score. That's right. It is Opera Box Score. It's on WNUR 89.3 FM. George Cedarquist here with Oliver Camacho. Good to ba- have you back in studio, buddy. It's great to be back, even though I'm exhausted. <laughs> Just saying two Brahms Requiems, all the parts um, <laughs> yeah. this weekend. And man, I'll tell you, I'm not that type of singer. I, I do early music. I do like you know, trills and coloratura and like singing loud, like you have to sing for Brown's Requiem right. is, is tough for me. I'm, I'm beat. It's been a week. <laughs> it's been a week. This is a great article. It's from the New York Times from March 31st. It's on our website, operaboxscore.com. So Yannick Neze Seguin. I'm so glad you've been practicing that, even without Giovanna here. I've been trying it drunk. <laughs> I figured if I could do it after three gin and tonics, yes. I could do it on the air. I'm sober now. So, 
he had this article in the New York Times about what he wants to do and to change when he takes over at the Met in 2020, Yeah. by the way. So this is Seems like so long away, but it's now. really not. It's like just two years. Yes and no. I mean, that's the next Summer Olympics, I guess. Yeah. There's an election that year oh my as well. It's going to be an amazing year. Now, so let's here. run down some of the changes. And I'll be honest, there wasn't a ton of meat in this article. Uh, maybe he didn't want to reveal his, all of his hand. He just wanted to play a few cards. This is what stuck out to me. He plans to open his first season with a new production of Verdi's Aida starring Anna Netrebko. Okay, that's huge already. Like, first of Why? all... Well, they haven't done a new Mets, a new Aida. I think their last new Aida was like 1988. So okay. they've been using the same production forever. Okay. But it's one of those shows that like, it's so big that you can get away with it, you know? Yeah. Um, but A, to have a new production of Aida, which I'm sure is going to be very expensive. And B, to assume that Anna Netrebko is going to be ready to sing Aida then. I mean, like she's, her voice is definitely going in that direction. She's removing some of the bel canto stuff and adding more of this dramatic stuff. It's very exciting. Uh, I'm I'm curious to see what what she's gonna do with it. You know, she's a beast on the stage. You know, but uh, I'd so, love to know who's directing that. Oh yeah, that, I, we don't have the information of that yet. Oh no, I don't think that's announced. Probably okay. no. And He's, then he also added that Detrebko would start the following season. Uh, in the title role of Richard Strauss's Zalame. Yeah, so he's like placing a lot of bets on on uh, Natrepko's ability to carry out these plans. I mean, didn't she back out of Norma? Wasn't that supposed to be like the season opener for next year? I believe she's so. Doing it? I so, believe so. Why yeah. is she the go-to soprano for the Metropolitan Opera? I think she's the most recognizable name that's in the peak of her career right now. Um you know, Renee Fleming is winding down. I think right. we're going to get her last Rosen Cavalier this month. Covent Garden, yep. Uh, no, at, at at the Met. Oh, she's yeah. already done Covent Garden? Okay. I don't so know if she's done it already, but, but she's retiring the role. Okay. And she'll probably still sing at the Met, but it probably won't be big roles like that ever again, you know? Um, And, uh, I mean, we have Angela Mead and, like, uh, Sandra Rodmanovsky, who are singing amazing right now but they are not household names right. yet you know interesting we know her in chicago because she's here all the time but and in new york but like if, if you go to like whatever ohio and like you are getting off a bus and say hey do you know who sandra Rodnowski is you know they're probably gonna say no probably not <laughs> they probably will say no about anna Trepko too but you have a higher likelihood of somebody knowing who she is neze Sagan, of course is also the head conductor at the philadelphia, philadelphia yeah. orchestra and in this article, he makes a lot of parallels between taking ideas from Philadelphia and transferring those over to the Met. So, for example, he said, At Philadelphia, we went out of our walls to more neighborhood concerts, more outdoor concerts, and we were present at very important dates for the city. But also, we once in a while welcomed people from the city to pop-up concerts. And he wants to get involved in world premieres. They were able to make that work in Philadelphia. We can workshop them in Philadelphia and then take them to the Met. This makes me nervous. Why? Philadelphia is going to become some sort of like Met Opera well, West. James Levine conducted Boston, didn't he? Like for his whole career. And, and it, there was no problem with that. And I think that uh, Yannick 
Nazistic Anne probably has more of an adventurous spirit, you know, about repertoire. It feels like a Broadway model of like an out of town tryout. What's wrong with that? I just, I don't see, I see that model working in the musical theater where there are these long runs where a show is supposed to sit down for months and like you're trying, you're tinkering and you tinker and you tinker and you never stop tinkering. I just, the process is built differently in opera. It's on a different time scale. It's on a different budget scale. I don't think this is a good idea. I think that you need to perform it in front of an audience to see what works and see how the the stamina of the singers with an orchestra and you workshop it and you make changes, you know, like composers did that. Great composers made changes. I think that we have this bad expectation that people can create an opera and the way it's, you know, it's premiered is the way it's going to be. No, you got to work it out. And if you want it to be something that's going to last for a long time, you're going to you're going to make mistakes and you're going to need to fix it, you know. But can you really compare the scale that you can achieve in Philadelphia with the scale of the Met? This is just, he's just talking about concert versions, I think, like just with the orchestra in a concert hall. Okay, so then he's not going to be able to tech anything or look at like the way that the story is built or how it's designed or how it's produced. He's a musician. He's not, he's not a stage director. He's a musician. He, in this article, he talks about how like the whole picture is important to him and how the casting is important to him and how the interpretation of the work is important to him. Let me, I'm going to see if I can pull this up so I'm not making this up. Okay. That he wants to have an opinion about everything. He's a traditionalist. He's modern. I'm both, he says. I want beauty. Okay. So, of course he wants to have, he wants to be, here we go. I'm at the center of things in terms of production decisions and casting decisions, end quote. He has an opinion about that stuff. And in this model, creating world premieres in Philadelphia, he's not going to be able to tinker with that the way that you described. I, I, I don't see what, how that is. I'm sorry. I, I disagree with you. <laughs> I just disagree with you. I think that he's talking about musical values and casting has a lot to do with musical values. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see what but happens. The other things that we have to talk about that are not in this article. Go ahead. But that are related. Uh, he also gave an interview to, uh, he's Canadian, to the CBC News. And uh, he talks about, uh, he wants to focus on filling the seats. And uh, this is his quote here. I'm of the belief that in a three-star Michelin star rest- in a three-Michelin-star restaurant, you very often have an open kitchen. It doesn't make your meals less magical or less fantastic, he said. In a way, filling the seats is an artistic problem, the same way as talking about how to play a quarter note. And what he's trying to get at here is that he wants the audience to be involved more uh, in post-performance talks and, and maybe even in working rehearsals to get people involved and let them see how the sausage is made, you know? Will musicians, singers, instrumentalists, will they go for that? Will they go for having the general public as part of the process? I don't think that they should be involved in... They, their opinion is beginning to matter less. I think that... I may, I'm going to sound like a union buster here, but it's some of the demands that the musicians have made You know, when we were flush with money that has gotten to in some of these problems. Not, I'm not blaming the musicians. I'm a musician, too. But some of these like union rules, you know, that uh, like where you can't rehearse for more than 90 minutes without a break or like if you go into, you know, one minute over four hours, then suddenly it's overtime. And it just makes things so difficult for stage managers and, you know, orchestra managers uh, to really do solid work. And it's not like I don't know how it is in Europe, but I assume that in Europe, like these people, it's their job. They come, they do the work. There's maybe a long rehearsal process and it just gets done and they're able to start 
you know, do more creative, adventurous projects as a result. But here we're so constrained by how much things cost and, you know, where are we going to get the money to pay that one minute of overtime if, if the conductor wants to rehearse that one that one part over again, you know. So. It can be very difficult, though, as a director or as a singer when you're trying to make art and there's a whole bunch of people watching you in the rehearsal room. So the question is just, is not why. I get the why. We want to open up the process to the audience. But the question is how. We don't really have any specifics from him, I don't think, as to how he wants to open up the process to the general I mean, the public. Met is a big place. If he wants people to come in and see the rehearsal process, or even in those rehearsal rooms, there's space for people. And I'm sure he's not talking about, like, the general public coming in, like, talking about, like, ticket holders, you know, people yeah. who, who, you know, maybe they he wants them to get more involved. I mean, I think a lot of people don't even realize how expensive and complicated it is to put on an opera. And the more you show people... The underbelly, I think the more people realize, like, oh, wow, there's no way that my $100 ticket is covering <laughs> all of that, you know? It's Opera Box Score on WNUR talking about the Metropolitan Opera's season starting in 2020 with the new head conductor, Yannick Neze Sagan. Do you think about fundraising? Fundraising? Yeah. No. Okay. No. Numbers scare me. That's Numbers the scare thing. Me so like, I, I don't think about that. This is a conversation. Like, I am now getting out of like, the whole production thing and creative thing. And I'm now more like on the marketing side and right. development side. God, you've uh, worn a lot of hats in your career. Uh, and that's a compliment. I'm not trying to p shut you down. But I'm, I'm starting to really realize that like, you know, you sp if you spend the right amount of money on everything, you absolutely need, you know, people paying for a lot that are not ticket holders. Just like, here's a million dollars, you know, yes. go do something with this, you yeah. know? You rely on that so much, and ticket revenue. Even if you're like at 100 percent of your ticket revenue goal, you still have barely covered the cost of marketing it properly. You know, it's all about the marketing. Even over at Chicago Fringe Opera, where like I don't do any of the marketing, I don't understand it. But God, it's important. It's way more important than. And it's not free. No, it's not free. No, it's definitely not free. Not even in social media, it's not free. So yeah, so so you're talking about like not involving. The audience in the process that's also marketing i'm saying that the audience should be involved in the process i just don't know how exactly yet when we're trying as artists to make something that is very difficult to do and it's very difficult to well, do we have to start scrutiny. thinking about it because well, yeah we're we're in a crisis mode and we have to figure out why people are not interested like i know maybe it's because i started young but i i know what this means to me i know how my life has been enriched by exposure to this and how like I'm it's a vocation for me. And I also know a lot of young musicians, even here at Northwestern University, who I see, you know, getting involved and understanding, like Matt Cummings, that guy that was our panelist a couple of months ago. Right. He started his own opera company. Um, it's called the Chamber Opera Initiative. And I went to the show and there's so much heart in it. Yeah. Uh and so I know that if people just get exposed in the right way and are, have the intelligence, they will become dedicated to it. Uh, so it's just, it's our bad if we're not able to find those people uh, who, who can be influenced in this way. Because there are obviously people who are smart enough and who are talented enough. Well, and Nizay Sagan was smart, right? Because he actually is pretty active on Twitter. So he's already, you know, the, the medium is the message, right? And yeah. so he's already tapping into that. I don't know. I don't know how long Twitter is for this world. 
I'm I'm not really. I know. said that about Facebook. Boy, was uh, I wrong. Well, the thing about Facebook is it keeps reinventing itself. So you have to give credit to Mark Zuckerberg. Like he he understands that if, if it doesn't change, it will die. Mm-hmm. You know, and mm-hmm. sometimes the change is frustrating, but at least it's it's evolving. You know, I feel like Twitter is not evolving. I mean, they're making really incremental changes in Twitter, but it's basically the same thing. And now it's just like. This national shame. <laughs> <laughs> Back at the Met, again, the article uh, in the Times, possibly on uh, CBC as well, a little bit thin on titles and specific details. I mean, can we possibly guess what other titles would be? Well, he talked about Missy Mazzoli, which is really awesome. Okay, so new composers such as yeah. Missy Mazzoli, Andrew Norman, Jennifer Higdon, Hans yeah. Abramson. Yeah. That's really exciting that he's interested and he's been listening to and going to, you know, see what's out there and that he's in Philadelphia. That's where they had Breaking the Waves, right? That's correct. Okay. It would be great to have more world premieres at the Met. I would, yeah. love, I would love to see that. I, I mean, I have to say that Amy Stebbins, uh, when she was on, she really made me think. I'm like, I'm so traditional and I'm so like I am killing opera. I know that I am, you know. But when she said that, like, you know, if we're not doing works in the 80s, you know, we're not doing work for the 70s. You know, like we've already lost how many decades of... Very op- true. Yeah. We're only doing like pre-World War or like, you know, Britain is like the only composer really from the second half of the, the 20th century, you know. Exactly. That we're performing on a regular basis, you know. Let us know what your predictions might be for the first Nezé Seguin season in 2020. You can tweet us at you, Opera Box Do you ever go on Twitter? Dude, I'm on Twitter every day. You are? I am. Yeah. All right. I uh, I need to cut down on my Twitter <laughs> feed. There's too much junk in there. Do you know what I'm saying? Stuff that I don't really need to see. There's some sports on there that I could I could skip, quite frankly. Um, oh, North Carolina pulls ahead of Gonzaga, 38-35, beginning of the second quarter. Uh, second half, excuse me. Coming up next is the two-minute drill. Everything you need to know from Opera Land from the past week and our hot takes on them. Hey, keep it right here. Opera Box Score on WNUR 89.3 FM. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. Rainbow House is a Chicago-based organization providing domestic violence intervention and prevention services to Chicago-area residents. Its five programs include a 24-hour crisis line, residential services, children's program, community resource services, and domestic violence prevention and education program. Rainbow House has sites in the Lawndale, Little Village, and Morgan Park areas of Chicago. For more information, go to www.rainbowhouse.org. That's rainbow-house.org. This message brought to you by WNUR. Right now, thousands of at-risk youth around Chicago lack the caring adults they need to help them stay in school and out of trouble. Fortunately, hundreds of youth tutoring and mentoring programs around the city are working to pull these youth off the street and towards college and careers. However, these programs rely on generous supporters like you to volunteer your time and resources to make a difference. Visit www.tutormentorprogramlocator.net to find a program near you today. 
Hey, what's up? Holla at your boy. XOXOXO. You getting these texts? Question mark. Where are you? What are you doing? OMG, you are making me mad. You better text me back. I'm waiting outside your house. Relentless, aggressive texting is like sending an angry robot to deliver your message. When does the robot become dangerous? Let us know at that'snotcool.com. That'snotcool.com. Brought to you by the Ad Council. This just in, the two-minute drill. Time now for the fastest headlines in opera news. Everything you need to know from the past week in two minutes tops. Opera Philadelphia has announced that Lawrence Brownlee has joined the company as an artistic advisor to advocate for expanded repertoire, provide insights on diversity in artistic practices and community initiatives, and collaborate with senior management in identifying and securing financial support for the company. Eugene Opera General Director Mark Baudere said last Monday he will not seek to renew his contract. He'll remain employed by the opera through June 30th. The company is at a tumultuous year, ending more than $200,000 in debt. Two full productions canceled. In Opera Tampa's recent production of Puccini's Turandot, conductor Anton Coppola unveiled a new ending for the opera in which Turandot and Kalaf kiss, but she goes on to tell the crowd that, quote, his name is Kalaf and explains that no man can undo the horrors done to her ancestor, Kalaf gets beheaded. Heading overseas, the Teatro Municipal of Rio de Janeiro owes over $50,000 to the electricity company. Apparently the power is going to be turned off at the opera house this week. Rajvan Dinsha, chief executive of Bucharest National Opera, has been sentenced to six years in prison for abuse of office. On the disabled list last week at L.A. Opera, French-based baritone Nicolas Testé was not able to sing in Offenbach's The Tales of Hoffman. He was replaced by Wayne Tigges, who would sing the roles of the opera's four villains in the orchestra pit, while Testé acted lip-synced on stage. Off the disabled list, baritone Dmitry Vorostovsky will return for two recitals next month, partnered by Anna Netrebko and her husband Yusuf Evyazov. And finally, on this day, American director Stephen Wadsworth turns 64. It's the death anniversaries of Richard Doily Cart, Kurt Weil, and Peter Pears. And back in 1981, today was the premiere of Karl Heinz Stockhausen's opera Donnerstag aus Licht at La Scala. That's the two-minute drill. You're listening to Opera Box Score with George Cedarquist, Oliver Camacho, Tobias Wright, and Dinah Fisher. Well, this week it's just George and Oliver. So Donner's Tag, I was like, is that the one that takes like two weeks to watch? Yeah, it's one with a helicopter. Okay. So like it's the, pretty the, rad. Impo- the impossible to stage opera. The impossible to stage yeah. opera, although a friend of mine directed it in Basel of all oh. places last Drink, year. Drink, everybody. Um, okay, so let's go. Let's go back it up a little bit. Actually, let's back it up even more than what we covered. Um, it was this news is so hot off the presses it didn't even make it into the two minute drill. But uh, our friend Arya Nussbaum Cohn uh, stepped in for David Daniels today. I think. Oh wow, that uh, is hot for hot um, a performance of it might be a concert work called "Poems of Life" by Kenneth Fuchs with Virginia Symphony Orchestra. Um, so it was like a last minute replacement. And he will also be recording this work uh, with the London Symphony Orchestra, uh, and it'll be released by Naxos. He so. being Aria. Yeah. He, okay. Yeah. I just, I'm just, I mean, first of all, as a countertenor, like the market's pretty small. So if David Daniels go small. down, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. He's a great guy to step up. Good for him. Yeah, I know. So I'm just glad we we gave him that bump in his career that he needed <laughs> by having him on the show. <laughs> and the, winning the Met. Yes, yeah. That's right. Um, well, let's okay. go from the top. All right. So I don't have comments on all of these things, but we I'm glad we talked about Lawrence Brownlee. One, because um, what is happening? Is it in Philadelphia? Is that where mm-hmm. that is? Okay. Correct. This is, to me, huge that opera companies are finally starting to realize, look, if you want to diversify your audience, if you want to expand the audience, you have to start reflecting your audience, you know? And it goes not just for the artists on the stage, but also the people in the administration. Like, how do you expect people's stories to be told if you don't have the right staff, the right production team, the right artistic management to even realize that those stories need to be told, you know? I think Lyric is doing a pretty good job with those initiatives. Like, we have Eric Owens and Anna Maria Martinez as sort of like cultural ambassadors, you know? But Lawrence Brownlee, one of the most soft-spoken, beautiful black men out there as oh. an artistic advisor. Yeah. What a great choice. Yeah, yeah. And he I just... mean, yes, he did Yardbird there. He premiered that a couple years ago, so there's a little kind of history, yeah. back connection. Well, Makes we had Yardbird sense. here in Chicago, and I saw it. Um, and it's not for me, you know? Like, it's not the type of thing that I want to see all the time. Right. But I was really happy to see the theater almost sold out. Um, was it the Athenaeum? No, this was at the Harris. So it the was o- over a thousand people attended that, and not people I'm used to seeing okay. at the opera. Um, and it was a show that I think people were very comfortable with because uh, it was easy to relate the so-called arias or the the set pieces in this show to the kind of jazz standards or songs that they were that they were based on, you know. Right. Um I found the the score to be a little bit relentless and not having enough variety, but uh it went by really quickly, you know. Uh the music was very tuneful and it was definitely a showpiece, a showcase for um Lawrence Brownlee. I cannot imagine anybody else on this planet being able to sing that role because of the specific technical demands that the composer made for the character of Charlie Parker. So um, for that reason, it was a success uh, because it really gave Lawrence Brownlee a chance to shine, you know. Problems, problems, problems at Eugene Opera. We talked about this a couple weeks or months ago, I think it was now, that the company had this major financial problems. No surprise, really, that Mark Baudet is going to not have his contract renewed. Clearly, that company needs to clean house and get some more money and figure out a new mission and really revive things. It needs to happen. I, I Eugene, Oregon needs opera. This is not a company that I want to go under. I think my, Mark Baudet is a nice guy, but clearly... Have you met him? I have met him. Okay. Yes, I've met him at the opera. I American don't know Conference. anything about Eugene, Oregon. Like, what is it? What type it's of... It's a college town. Okay. Uh, it's where... Um, oh, God. Well, it's either University of Oregon and Oregon State is. One's okay. in Corvallis... And the other one is... <laughs> but is it the college town, like Evans is a college town, where there's like lots of rich people, like not far away? Yeah, 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 yeah. The arts it's, like and, a, okay. it's like a crunchy okay. college town. Okay. Yeah. It should, it should have opera. Okay. But clearly with other people doing it. Yeah, this maybe opera- they need more people uh, watching working rehearsals. Maybe. <laughs> now, this Opera Tampa clip article, you sent this to me. Yeah, I mean, just like this just sounds great, like... Coppola, I don't know if it's his own composition or if he pieced it together with help of somebody else, but they created a new ending for Puccini's Torundo. Yeah. 
the ending to me is very unsatisfying. Uh, the way uh, it was completed by whoever completed, it, I forget Alfano, I forget who. Yeah. Who wrote not the, Puccini? Yeah, not Puccini. Uh, Puccini passed away uh, before he could finish it, and he had like drafted plans for what he wanted to be like. And there's like some suggestion of like Tristan and Isolde type of ending, but I find this ending to be very satisfying. That you know, Turandot actually wins by. Uh, finding out his name and maybe allowing him to think for that moment that, you know, she fell for him, but it was just her way of winning because she's just that type of person. She's She's got to win, you know? And then he dies. And it's a like very feminist version of this ending. That's and awesome. it seemed to go over really well. Yeah, the, apparently the audience was ape poop for it. It's so. not something I would expect from Opera Tampa. I thought they would play it a little closer to the bone. I I don't know Tampa that well, but uh, yeah. Are, we, mean, are we making judgments about people from Florida? Oh, come on, dude. <laughs> Florida is like the worst state in the union. Thank you very much, Florida listeners. <laughs> After Texas. No, Texas is the absolute worst state in the union. No, it's... but Texas has Fort Worth Opera and, and uh, Dallas Opera. And... I'm just talking about its people, not okay. about its opera. I think Alabama might be up there. So. Actually, Mississippi's pretty awful. Okay. So well. I guess we're not expecting to be syndicated in those states. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my goodness. The Disabled List. Yay, Dmitry Vorostovsky coming back. Yay. Poor guy. Yeah, I know. God bless Brain him. cancer. And now singing two recitals. One is in Toronto. The other is in Dublin, I think. And did you say that Anna Trepko is making an appearance? In yeah, that? Trepko so. and her husband, Yusuf Evyazov, will be singing with him as well. I don't know what the repertoire is. A lot of Russian songs. Yeah. Probably. No, the, I mean, I oh. went, went to a Borostovsky recital here at uh, in Chicago at the CSO, and I've never seen more fur coats and fur hats in Symphony Center. Oh, my gosh. It's so true. I remember when I was <laughs> observing in grad school on the production of Lucia de Lammermoor. Mm-hmm. Natrebko was singing Lucia. Uh-huh. And the audience was all Russian mobsters. Yeah. <laughs> They're mobsters. But they were. They were. It was like a line of tinted Mercedes-Benz sedans yeah. out in front. Heavy, heavy perfume. Yeah, lots of cologne. In the auditorium. From, yeah, yeah a lot of cologne. Yeah. yeah. A lot of Balkan Sobranis yeah, being and smoked, if you've ever seen Lots of that. like shirts that don't quite close at the neck. You know, it's like a lot yeah, of thick necks. Yeah, there's a lot know? of that. There's a lot yeah, of that. Yeah, but um, no, this, at this recital, I remember that he finished with some like Russian folk songs, and like everybody knew what those songs were, and they were like singing along and clapping, and it was mm. like, this is like a hoedown, you know? Yeah, so. yeah. This, this thing at L.A. Opera, French-based baritone Nicolo Testé was not able to sing in the Offenbach, so he stays on stage. Yeah. And he acts the part. And from the pit, Wayne Tiggis sings the roles of the, the four villains that are in the opera. You'd be surprised how common that is I was going to say, opera. like, I hope you're not saying that this is like a new like, occasion. Like I'm this. saying that is almost par for the course. Yeah. Why? Because the stakes are so high. Like, you have to do the show. You cannot just turn everybody away. Well, the no. I mean, I, I, thought, I didn't think you were going in that direction with it. I mean... I think it's because the understudies don't get enough time on stage, you know, or they're maybe the understudy never actually even had a rehearsal. So have you ever understudied? No, no. But somebody's got to like walk the part, you know. Sure. And you can't just and somebody sings from the pit. Like at Northwestern here a couple of years ago, Ricky Ian Gordon was doing his uh, "Grapes of Wrath," whatever that opera was, and right. one of the singers got sick, so he Ricky Ian Gordon himself sang the part from the pit. Love it, <laughs> love it. Yeah, 
I mean, the the show has the show has to go on. As a director, I mean, if you're big enough to have an assistant, your assistant can rehearse the understudies mm-hmm. or the covers. Those are two different things. That's a slight difference, I yeah, suppose. Yeah. I don't even know how I would describe the difference between a cover yeah. and an understudy. Is there a difference? I, I, well, I feel like a cover is guaranteed a performance. Okay. But not necessarily as many as the first cast. Whereas an understudy may never go on, yeah. but they might. And a double cast would would I usually be guaranteed as many performances as their equivalent cast. So there's really three categories we're talking about now. Double cast, cover. Okay. Well, anyway, so b- beautiful Michael Brandenburg tenor uh, was in Chicago for the run of Carmen, uh, which had... I think maybe three tenors in total. <laughs> and right. he, I think he finally went on. Like, Wait, in the last... three tenors all just preparing Don Jose? No, I think that they had planned. To, I, mean, I know for sure they had Joseph Kalea and Brendan Jovanovich, but I think okay. there was actually one, one other cast, like sure. one secret cast. But uh, Michael Brandenburg, who's an amazing singer and should be cast at the lyric as Don Jose, I think he went on in the middle of the show. Like the tenor wasn't feeling well and decided to not finish it. And so, I mean, that is... To me, so scared that you're like just sitting in the house, you know that the tenor is like, uh oh, he's not sounding great. I'm up. You know? Although it's so funny because from a sports perspective, again, there's nothing unusual about that, right? You got a 53 yeah. man roster in football, three strings deep. You have folks coming off the bench in basketball, coming off the bench in hockey. It's it's a different sport. Yeah, I just, if just we totally call got it lost for a second. I don't sport. know what you're talking about. I understand. Your eyes glazed over. A little uh, hey, look, uh, should we wrap this show up? Yeah, we have some, I have some recommendations, so. All right. You want to do them now or you want to do it no, uh, let's, with a little let's, background let's get some, Let's have some normal doubt, yeah. <laughs> Good call. Bad call. On Opera Box Score. Man, this hour goes fast. Uh, not really. We're stretching. But, um, so I wanted to say that we are as, uh, you know, podcasters slash broadcasters we have been invited to the COT uh, season announcement, which is tomorrow. But none of us on our tiny team could make it because we all have an obligation. So I want to just let COT know that we're thinking about them. Thank you so much. We're excited to see where you're going after the announcement of Andres Midasek. Uh, but in the meantime... Well, and on the show next week, we will definitely... We're going to add a new segment next yeah. week, which is going to really focus just on Chicago. I think we're going to call it a hometown team. Oh, good idea. And we will definitely cover that COT announcement. Go awesome. ahead, Oliver. But in the meantime, they are gearing up, ramping up, uh, to put on the uh, Walt Disney opera, the Philip Glass opera, The Perfect American. And you can check out a really amazing animated video it's preview. Awesome. Uh, just go to their website and check out this video. It's beautiful, uh, and it's very unlike marketing that COT has previously done. So I get the feeling that they're probably sharing the marketing expense with Long Beach for this. Although when you watch that video, I want to hear from you. You can let us know on Twitter or Facebook if the music on that video, A, is it Philip Glass, and B, is it from Perfect American? Well, I'm sure those things are very easy to find out. (laughs) We just had the time to research it before I sprung that on you. But that would be no fun. Okay. So other things I want to say uh, that uh, I missed most of the Lyric Opera Rising Stars concert because I had my own concert, Mm -hmm. but that happened last Saturday. I caught like the last four or five performances, four or five selections, and I heard Lindsay Metzger, who is a local girl, done good. Uh, She went to DePaul. Okay. I heard her her sing um, the 
second aria of Sesto from Clemenza Tito and my has she how she has grown mm. like I remember what she sounded like whatever five years ago and she's always been a great singer but now her voice is becoming much more powerful she's a lot more confidence on stage she's always been beautiful but now she's like stunning and it's just really great to see that a program like the Ryan Opera Center can actually develop talent like that a lot of their uh Rising Stars concert will be broadcast on WFMT uh, this Sunday. You can listen to it online or if you live in Chicago on the radio. Um, that's Sunday evening. I forget exactly when, but it's the Rising Stars in concert. And also this Sunday, uh, Lawrence Brownlee, who we just talked about, is giving a recital with Eric Owens. And if I didn't have to sing a St. John Passion, I would definitely be there. Uh, Lyric Opera has been very generous and is extending a discount to our listeners. So if you go to the Lyric website and you use the promo code OBS for Opera Box Score OBS, you will get a 20% discount on tickets to see Larry Brownlee and Eric Owens. Appreciate that, Oliver. That's it for this week's show. Our announcer is Norm Waddell. Visit Norm on the web at voxershorts.com, V-O-X-E-R-S-H-O-R-T-S.com. At WNUR, the programming director is Nick Anderson and the general manager is Brock Stussy. Our theme song is Vodka Inferno, written and performed by the Diablo Swing Orchestra. On Facebook and Twitter, search for Opera Box Score, like our Facebook page, share and comment on our posts, or tweet us at Opera Box Score. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Hey, if you like what you hear, leave a review on iTunes. It's going to take you like 20 seconds. It's the cheapest and it's the fastest way for you to help promote our show. The creative consultant for Opera Box Score is Oliver Camacho. I'm George Cedarquist asking you to continue the conversation about opera as the Cubs begin their quest to repeat as world champs. We're back next Monday at 9 Central with a brand new segment called The Hometown Team. Do not miss it. Argo Radio is up next with DJ Joe. This is WNUR-FM Evanston, Chicago, Chicago's sound experiment.